Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Deacon Hoover Radio Network. And it's 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 flagship show, I'd like to think. I, the Deacon of Real Estate podcast with you, Alex Deacon. I'd like to think it's the flagship. If that's what you think, then that's that works for me, <laughs> brother. So, Alex, uh, today it looks like we're going to be talking about the seven common mistakes uh, or seven things to avoid uh, when investing in real estate. Yes, and to be honest with you, I am completely winging this. I'm going to stop at number seven. There's probably 700 things to avoid when purchasing real estate, but people tend to tune in when it's it's only seven steps, and if I avoid those, then I'm going to make a gajillion dollars. So we'll start with numero uno. Do we know what numero uno is? Oh, would that be pre uh, be pre-qualified? No. No, what's number one? Ah, good threw guess. Me, threw me a curveball. Wrongo. Okay, number one. This is, doesn't have to be number one. This is our number one. Does the property is the property going to be profitable? Ooh. Seems like a really simple duh question, right? Well, I just won't buy it. Well, how do you know if a property is going to be profitable or not going to be profitable? How do we know that, Adam? Uh, market research would be one. Uh, yeah, market gut research. instinct. A lot of times, just knowledge. Um, gut instinct does help, but that's at the bottom. That's towards the bottom of the list. Okay, so. Let's talk about, is it going to make money? Are the rents accurate? So, everybody in uh, Radio Land or Podcast Bill, write this down. Are the rents accurate? So, oh, well, the landlord, the, the current owner said that the rents are this. Well, maybe you should see leases. How about that? Get copies of leases. Make sure that that is the market rent, because in some cases... What an owner will do is they will get their property rented for as much as they possibly can. It might take them a year to find a tenant. And then the numbers are skewed to look like the property is going to make a whole lot more money when in fact when you have a vacancy, you're going to find a very difficult time getting that, that amount of rent in a reasonable time period. Yeah, you may be able to get $800 a unit, but if it takes you four months to rent it versus renting it for 700 a unit and renting it in two weeks... At the end of the year, you're going to make money, more money at 700 than you are at 800 because your vacancy rate is going to be extremely high. So, long and short of it, make sure the rents are accurate. Do your market research on rents. Um, number two, this is really 1B. So, that's 1A, 1B. Make sure your expenses are what they, the owner says they are. And what do I mean by that? Well, what are the utility bills? What are the costs that they've set aside for repairs? What are the costs they've set aside for major expenditures like roof, furnaces, uh, sewer lines, things like that? Because there's a couple different ways you want to set aside money for repairs. First of all, just typical move in, move out. That's when people you know, move in. There's costs involved. When people move out, there's costs involved. There are, you know, carpet only has a certain amount of shelf life. There's painting that has to be done every X amount of years. But there's your big items, too, that you need to be aware of that, okay, say that roof is going to cost $10,000. The furnaces, there's three furnaces in a three-unit, and they're going to cost $6,000 to replace all three of them. And what's another big one? Three hot water tanks. Just say another $800 hot water tank. Um, you could just go on and on. Add all these up. Let's say these all add up to $50,000 then you have to kind of take that 50000 and divide it by, let's just say, 20 years, right? 
So 50,000 divided by 20 years is 2,500 a year? Yes. Sound good? Yeah. 2,500 a year. That means you should set aside for this particular building, this building we just made up, $200 per month for just those big items that are going to come up. You might not have to deal with them for 10 years, but year 11, you get slammed with a, a $10,000 roof and, and, and three furnaces. And it could all hit you at once. All hit you at once. So you have to account for that. So make sure you're using the correct repair numbers. And those can be different depending on the property. If the property is completely worn down and all the windows are bad and the roof has got about three years left and hot water tanks are old and the furnaces are old, the sewer line's never been replaced. It's an 80-year-old um, building and it's terracotta pipe underground. There's a lot of trees and roots uh, near where the sewer line is. You have to set aside a whole lot more money for that building than you do if you bought a building that's five years old, that's you know up the code, it was built up the code five years ago, and so on and so forth. So you see where there is no rule of thumb, and we've talked about the rule of thumb thing, yep. we throw it out the window. Yep. So that's number one. And and just ask and just to kind of piggyback real quick, and when you were talking about especially uh, especially when it cost of rent. You know, do you feel as though there's there's a lot of people that are either undervaluing their property and overvaluing their property? Because you know, you said definitely make sure that you're not renting somewhere asking for eight hundred dollars. You know, a home staying vacant for six months when you can have that stability of the six fifty or the seven hundred dollars. You know, mm-hmm. are there people on the other side too where they're not making it as profitable because they don't know the market area and they could be renting? You know, they could actually be renting for more than what they are. Oh sure, yeah. Okay. There's that's how that's how you can find a really good deal. Is if you if you come across a good quality property that's underperforming for a few different reasons, uh, the the landlord is just they're kind of complacent and they're happy with these tenants they've had in there forever, and they're okay with renting them for for twenty percent under market value. Mm-hmm. And if the agent who who lists the property, let's say they use the current numbers. And don't do a real good job at pricing it, and they undervalue it, they underprice it, but they price it based on the current income. Mm-hmm. But you know, because you're an educated investor, you know that those incomes should be 20% higher. Then, yeah, you want to jump on that building and maybe pay full price, maybe even more than full price before somebody else gets it, okay. because it's underperforming. It means, uh, and that's due to the landlord just not wanting to get uh, an increase in rents. Okay. okay? Good deal. So that's a good question. All right, number two, number number two um, common mistake you could say is uh, you need to know the market. Okay, what what does know the market mean? Well, we talked about knowing what the current rents are, knowing what your expenses are. That's part of the market, but knowing what things typically sell for in that market. Because if you're buying in an A class area, A being a really good school district, uh, really high average household income. If you're buying in an A area and you expect to pay B or C prices, you're sadly mistaken. You're never going to get anything. So when you're looking in an A area, know you're going to pay A prices. Know that your rate of return, your not necessarily rate of return, but your general cash flow each month is probably going to be less. But on the flip side of that, you have a good stable property. You have uh, higher quality renters and you're going to get usually higher or a better appreciation than other areas. So there, there are trade-offs. So know your market, 
know what you're going to have to pay. Of course, you want to pay as little as possible. That's the, the, the game in anything, I guess, when you're buying and selling, regardless of what it is. You want to buy as low as possible, but just know when you're when you're dealing with an A area, you're going to pay A prices, and you're and you're dealing with a, a B or C or D area. Just know that you need to be paying those B, C, or D prices. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, definitely makes sense. That does make sense. Does make sense. Really? Does make sense. I, I totally lost myself. I, I think no the, the one thing I find interesting is I wonder how many people realize you know when it comes to neighborhoods A, B, C, or D like. Because you know how we always say people look at their own properties through rose-colored glasses. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder how many uh, homeowners think that they live in an A, a neighborhood when it really isn't quite A. Or, or vice versa. You know, a lot of people think they live in a, a D or a C and it's really a little bit better than, you know. Yeah. So don't, don't, don't always judge neighborhoods' books by the covers. Okay. We'll take that with a grain of salt. Thank yeah, you. Right. Thank <laughs> you for that. Hey, I do what I can. <laughs> All right. Number three. Numero three-o. Um, know what you're... Know what you can afford, okay? So maybe, I want to say get pre-approved to get qualified, but, you know, buy something within the realm of your finances. Don't look for a multi-million dollar 30-unit building for your first transaction. I think no. I just think that's a mistake. First of all, it's it's a lot of risk, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Second of all, there's a high, high probability that you're not going to be able to even get approved for any sort of loan so the first thing you should do even before you start looking at any properties I mean you can educate yourself and read books and listen to podcasts and do all that but before you actually get out there and start looking and with the intention of buying you need to talk to a good mortgage broker to find out how the bank's gonna look at your finances and look at you in general and what you're gonna be able to borrow so if the bank tells you you know what everything looks good Adam, we're going to let you borrow up to $150,000 for your investment. Then you shouldn't be looking at properties that are 200 or 250. Mm -hmm. So know what you can afford, know what the bank's going to lend you because that's going to basically dictate what you can go out and buy. And what I suggest doing is buying something for your first deal, small, low risk, uh, easy exit strategy, something like that just in case because it's your first deal and you want to keep it that way. Right. So that's, that's number three. That is one thing that I noticed that we, we talk about, and you, you absolutely talk about a lot for the first, you know, your first deal. Make it simple. Make it basic. Don't don't get don't get taken on your first on your first deal, um, because I think that's how a lot of people probably fall out of investing. They get bit once and then never want to do it again. Absolutely. All right. Now, again, these aren't any sort of order, but uh, number four for me, I think, would be because I see a lot of people jump into partnerships. You know. Joe and, her, and his buddy Bob, they're at the bar drinking. They're like, hey, you know what, dude? Let's just let's buy some real estate together because I want to be rich. All right, cool. Let's go into partnerships together. And you're friends, right? It's a great way to ruin a friendship. Yes. Because was it Bob and Joe? I can't remember who it was. Bob and Joe. Okay, I think it was Bob and Joe. Bob was probably a little drunker than Joe. But Bob <laughs> says, hey, buddy, let's do this. Joe says, yeah, let's do this. Okay. And then they go and buy something. They don't create an LLC. They don't have an operating agreement that's spelled out that says, okay, if, if Joe dies or Bob dies, what happens? Who's the managing partner? Who's in charge of this? Who's in charge of that? Because what happens in most partnerships, and I don't want to I don't want to get anybody afraid of being a partner with someone, but you, you have to pick the right partners. And But what happens with most partnerships that go sour are, especially 
when the property doesn't make money, they go sour fast. And that's what happens. You have two uneducated partners. They buy a property that loses money. One partner feels like they're doing more work than the other, or the partners don't agree on how to repair something. Like, I might want to repair it this way. They want to repair it that way. Our budgets don't commingle. It's just, it can be an ugly mess. And when the property loses money, then it creates a massive amount of just stress and friction. So pick your partners wisely. If you know if Bob is uh, an accountant and Joe is a contractor, <clears throat> is that a good combination? It could be because you know someone can do the books and Joe can do the repairs. Right. Doesn't necessarily mean that's going to work out. When I choose my partners, I make sure that in most cases because maybe I'm a control freak, but I know what I'm doing. So in most cases, now in my career, I want to be in charge of what's going on with the project. If you want to be my partner, come to the table, bring the money or bring the deal, yep. and let me handle it because we're going to make money together. So choose your partners wisely before you go out to a bar and, and put a deal together on a napkin. Maybe sleep on it. <laughs> maybe talk to an attorney first. And talk it over with your significant other before you choose to jump in emotionally into a partnership. So think about it. There's a lot of friendships and families that have been torn apart by things of that yeah, nature. Yeah, too many. All right, so that's number four. What would number five be? Let me think. What do you think, Adam? Can you pick a number five? Can I pick a number five? Yeah. Um, I mean, my favorite number five of all time is probably Jeff Bagwell from the Houston Astros, but that's neither here yeah, nor there. Yeah, that's totally irrelevant. Um, let's see. Uh, let me see. So... I mean, I think the biggest one always for, at least for me, because I would be that, that newbie mm-hmm. is, is always, you know, knowing what you can afford. Um, but I guess, uh, we already picked that we one. already picked up that on one's that one, picked. you know, so that we already, this is what we one. talked about so far. Just it, 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 for those of you just tuned in. Yeah. Here's a, here's a good recap. You want to make sure okay. that the property's profitable, that, profitable, yeah. know your market, know your market, uh, make sure you can afford this property and you're mm-hmm. not overextending yourself. And if you are going to go into a partnership, choose the right partner. And understand the partnership process as well. Yes. Don't just and jump we have, in and, and because I said seven, we have three more to go. We have three more to I go. I just don't know what they're going to be right this moment. So we're going to say, um, let me see, seven mistakes to avoid. Uh, forgetting your patience because it's still a patient game, correct? I mean, that's – or you're like, no, we're, we're jumping right in. We're patience. <laughs> patience is or was a virtue. I would say number five, that's a good point. You have to be patient. Mm-hmm. So number five, it, it, this is funny because you have to be patient, but you also have to be some super driven, impatient person. Mm-hmm. So that's an oxymoron. Be that's, patiently that's the, impatient. You really do. You have to be patient, but you have to be impatient. And what I mean by that is if you're going to buy real estate, and you're planning on retiring in two years, you're not patient enough for this business. So this is this is a reality check. I guess number five would be, let's do a reality check. Because you know, we talked about last week or the week prior is everybody is not cut out to be a landlord. Mm-hmm. So you know, there are some reality checks there. Are you cut out to do this? Because this is a delayed gratification business. I don't know of any businesses that are not delayed gratification. They take many years to incubate and grow and produce something that's that's 
you know, worth anything. Right. Okay? So take a look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I set out for this because I'm going to work for free for a long time? I'm going to be taking the time away from my family, my loved ones, uh, the things I like to do because I want to create this this business, this entity that's going to this idea that... take care of me later on down the road. So just keep in mind if you don't if you're if you don't like to work hard and you don't like to work for free and learn by making mistakes and lose money and sometimes make money over a long period of time, you do not want to get into real estate. Okay? It's not for everybody. And it that's is okay. not for everybody. Mm -hmm. I'd be lying if I said that. That's why I don't sell any courses and I don't do any sort of educational seminars that I charge money for because I know 90% of the people sitting in that class, first of all, they're not going to do anything with the information. They're just information absorbers, and right. that's fine if they want to educate themselves. That's that's wonderful. Uh, but 9 out of 10, not going to do anything with it, or they are just not cut out for it. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be doing it. And I just can't see taking money, and too many people do, taking money from these folks when they should not. They should be doing something else. Right, right. Yeah, I mean it's 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 cutthroat, and that's why you know that whole the the being uh, patiently impatient. That's that's a great way. I of mean, saying. I don't want to say I don't want to say cutthroat. I don't I don't really like that. I mean, it's not like not cutthroat. It's I just guess aggressive. Some people, and it's not good or bad. Right. Exactly. It's not good or bad. Exactly. Like just because you're not cut out for real estate doesn't mean you're a failure. You're just your DNA is not cut out to do this business. Correct. You know, maybe you're cut out to do something else. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what you do, just as long as you're happy and. You know, you're not hurting anybody. You know, so what I'm saying is, and it's hard to tell people that I I never tell somebody you're not cut out for this because that's like, would you tell your own child, hey, you're never gonna do that. Just just stick to what you're good at, you dumbass. Right. Is that what? You, is that how you talk to your <laughs> no. child? No, you tell no. your child you're gonna do. You can do whatever you want, son or daughter. Yeah. I want to tell adults that too, but that's a that's you know, you can do whatever you want. Everybody can achieve anything, especially in this country. You just need to know your limitations, mm -hmm. and that's something that you need to internally, at some point, understand. Self-reflection is important, yeah. you know, and know your strengths and weaknesses. That's yep. Yep. All right, that's numero five. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Number six. <clears throat> this is again. This kind. Of, I'm going to say this is like five B. Five B will be. Uh, are you? You know, how much risk can can your body handle? How much risk can your brain sustain? So in this business, there is some risk. The more educated you are, the more deals you do, the more you use your brain versus your emotions to make things happen. The the risk decreases tremendously. So when I do deals now, I know my limitations. I don't go and do multi-million dollar deals, and I don't do deals in areas I don't understand or know. I don't do deals in geographical areas that I don't know. I stick to what I know. So it keeps my risk low. That's smart. So if you're smart. adverse to risk, this is probably not the business for you. And we talked about that last time when we said this landlording is not cut out for yeah. everybody. So adverse to risk is like would be like 5B. Okay, a num number six common, common mistake is making decisions 
with your heart versus with your mind. And I'll give you a good example of that. I bought something not too long ago, and I just fell in love with this house. This house was unbelievable. I mean, really, really amazing, amazing, well-built house. And at the time when this was built, probably in the 50s or whatever, this area that I bought it in was probably a, a, a fairly high, you know, income area, you know. And since then, it's not. But this particular street is, like, phenomenal. But two or three streets around it, everything around it is not nice. And it's in an area I don't know. But I fell in love with the house, and I bought this house based on my emotion. And the numbers... What happens when you buy with emotion is the numbers find a way to work themselves out mm. and your emotion takes over that your brain and your brain caves and your emotions mm. take over. And I've made that mistake and I've done this for quite a long time. This was only about four years ago. And I'm stuck with this place now because I can't sell it for what I have for what I have into it. And it loses money every month. So not only do I have an asset that's probably worth what I have into it now, but it loses a significant amount of money every month. And fortunately for me, I have 30 other properties that don't lose money. So, so I still make that mistake. So I guess sometimes you need to sleep on it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to run that deal. If you're really unsure about it, run it by somebody else or a couple different people who are experts. Don't run it by your grandmother who's never invested anything other than in the bank. Don't run it by uh, your buddy who's you know who works at, at a gas station. Run it by some people that have done what you want to do and are very knowledgeable in it and have really nothing to gain or lose from telling you the truth. So finding those, finding those people is very important. So I guess number six is make decisions based on your brain, not on your emotions. Easier said than done because I still do it to this day. And you know what number seven is? Can I just segue into this? Absolutely. Would be have some people that you can trust as your advisors. You know, have someone like myself. or I wish I had somebody who I could have trusted and knew and had the knowledge that I seeked when I first started because I would have eliminated probably 10 years of a learning curve you know? <laughs> it helps it makes it we always yeah. say you're only you can only be as successful successful as you know the five closest people to you yep I would have eliminated 10 years of just uh, school of hard knocks yeah so uh, number seven is the mistake people make is they think they know it all because they read a book or they went to a seminar they think they can do it by themselves and they can't so mistake number seven is you need to not think you can do it by yourself. You need to have a good team. You need to have a good accountant, attorney, real estate agents. And we talk about this all the time. It's the basics. Good contractors. But you also have to have some really good... Those folks are specialists in their field. Mm -hmm. But then on top of that, you have to have somebody who's doing what, you're, what you want to do now at a high level of success to advise you. Those people aren't easy to find. They're usually typically very busy and they don't have the time to devote to helping you because they're busy doing what they do. Right. So finding those advisors is difficult. It's not easy. But if you find them, you make sure you make it worth their time 
You know, just don't, you're constantly calling or asking questions. No, you have to bring something to the table. Bring a deal to them. That was actually going to be my question was, you know, how, how, because we do talk about this a lot Mm -hmm. is, you know, surrounding yourself with good people, having a great team, having great, you know, specialists. But how can you find a good advisor to go to? You know, what's the, what's the best way? You You seek them out. There you go. You seek them out. They're not going to come to you. No. So you have to find out who those people are and then bring something to the table. For example, if you wanted to, to learn from me, bring me some deals. Bring me a deal that I can partner up with you on. I would say, Adam, you bring a deal to me. I'm doing one right now, as a matter of fact. I'm doing one with a gentleman I've never met other than we've done some emails together. I am physically 100% in charge. I am also 100% in... Um, I'm on the debt and I'm on I'm on the hook for everything okay, uh, okay. but he brought the deal to me but okay. this deal doesn't exist without this person bringing the deal to me so I take over I manage the deal I get the property done we, we flip it we sell it whatever profits we get he gets a percentage and I get a percentage so there's nothing wrong with that but you can't go to an advisor and just pick up the phone and say hey hey Alex um I need a couple hours of your time today. That's net, just not going to happen. How many I, hours I in a week? I can't do it. There's 168 hours in a week. There you go. Good one. There you go. So out of the 168, you know how many's left. Not many. So um, just bring something to seek out the advisors and hopefully with some luck and persistence, you will find a few that will help you. There you go. That's seven. That's tips. That's folks. seven. That's sort of like seven, eight and a half, because I threw some A's and Kinda B's. Kind of had a good, there. like, yeah, there was a one, there was a one A, one B. We had a yeah. good five B. I, I felt like we kind of had, like, we could have went all over the place. So we we, we can change the title to seven and a half. Seven, seven and a half, nine and a half weeks. Or seven to nine-ish. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, Alex, anything else uh, that we think that we should uh, just add a little sprinkle on top with the uh, seven things to avoid when investing in real estate? Any final thoughts? We good? Yeah, we're good. So nothing to add on, nothing to add on. So can you put the comb back in your beard again? I can absolutely put the comb right like this. That is so cool. And then I'll just sit here and talk with a comb in my beard. Yeah, can we put that? We get we got to get video on these because that's really amazing. Nobody needs to see my ugly mug. I don't want to scare away any potential any potential people. Yeah. So anybody still listening <laughs> right now, this is absolutely information. It is. Going to actually make you stupider, so you probably want to shut this off. At this point, we're just having end of the year fun now, guys. I, and this this is the side that we hope that we've sold you on the personalities and not just the information that, that we provide you guys. Um, so, Alex, I thank you, sir. I Peace really out. thank you for your time. Guys, happy new year. Uh, we hope you're enjoying 2018. Uh, we hope you got to ring it in uh, as you safely and, and as you like to. Uh, please follow us on uh, Twitter. Like us on Facebook. That's Deacon Hoover Real Estate Associates. Uh, Deacon At Deacon Hoover on Twitter. Find us on uh, on uh, Spreaker, uh, Spreaker, Google Plus. Um, I don't even think Google Plus is a thing anymore. Let me try that again. Spreaker, iTunes, uh, Google Play, uh, and your favorite podcasting service. And make sure you're going to dhrea.com, and you will find fuller-length versions of these, plus all of our previous episodes and some great blogs written up, and some house listings too. So, guys, our website has a whole bunch of stuff going on. Make sure you check that out. For Alex and for myself and everyone else here at Deacon Hoover Real Estate Associates, we thank you for tuning in to us for this little informational broadcast. Happy New Year, and we will see you next time.